the more that you take care of people, the longer they want to do business with you, right? And that's the name of the game, right? Is you want to make business fun. Like you can't just look at numbers every month and just make off the fly decisions. You just run yourself and you burn yourself out, right? Like you just got to have fun. Hello, I'm Steve Class with the business breakthrough you've been waiting for. We're here taking service businesses to a million dollars and beyond. Let's see what kind of impact the next 30 minutes will have on your life and your business. What's going on, everyone? Just finished up my interview with Matt Powell. Uh, he's in Fractional CFO. Um, this week's topic is going to be all about finances. And I know that could be a dry subject, but rest assured, as a business owner, this is the one thing you really, really can never ignore is cash flow, how to pay employees, how to take an orange draw, what's your tax liability. This is essential to running any type of service-based uh, business. We speak about how to set it up, how to pay yourself first, uh, called profit first, um, really how to structure your entire business on a quarterly basis, difference between an LLC and an S-corp. Again, I know this can be boring, but rest assured as business owners, this is an episode you don't want to miss out on. So stay tuned. Without further ado, Mr. Matt Powell. All right, what is going on, my classy listeners here? I'm with a great guy that I had the privilege of meeting in Austin, Texas. His name is Matt Powell with the Powell Finance Group. Him and I bonded because we jointly went to this M3 meetup of other entrepreneurs at a great networking event. We got to meet this gentleman by the name of Drayton McLean, a billionaire. He was the vice chairman of Walmart. Owned, uh, uh, he has his own uh, logistic company. And he was the previous owner of the Houston Astros. Um, so it was really great to kind of get to know Matt in between all of these networking events, learn a little bit more about his services. Um, I fell in love with the guy, honestly. He's got such a genuine personality. He's a team player, um, high energy. And this episode is going to be really focused on what his CFO services is, what a CFO actually is, a fractional CFO uh, that matters, and why any good business owner should really pay attention to their cash flow and their bookkeeping. But before we go into all, the good, all that good stuff, I want to introduce Matt. Matt, great to have you on the show, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Dude, it's a, it's a complete honor for me to meet you and uh, connect with you so well and to be here and uh, share a little bit about my story and hopefully get to uh, help a couple people along the way. Yeah, you've got a really unique background. I I'm, I'm, can't wait to kind of just scratch the surface here. Um, so let's let's start a little bit in early days of Matt, the uh, baseball prodigy that you are. You were a, a great uh, baseball player at the time. Were you D one athlete and going semi semi pro? Is that right? That was the that was the trajectory. I grew up in a super super small town where like my graduating class was sixty eight people, and they were crazy enough to give me the valedictorian. Um, so I was you know all through my high school career, I just I really enjoyed playing sports. Um, I was kind of groomed into none of my parents ever played, um, but I just turned out to be this super competitive guy, but I liked doing it with other people. So team sports was like the best way to do it. I really fell in love with, uh, I took hold of football and baseball. So in high school, they, uh, they gave me, I was the only kid that could really throw the ball, throw the quarterback. Um, and then for, for baseball, I got to, to pitch and, and play some of the field. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was projected to be a D1 athlete. And then the, uh, my senior year, second day of my senior year, I actually got into a car accident, so that kind of threw me off course a little bit. So when when you got into that car accident, was this like a career-ending car accident when it, when it comes to baseball or, or any athletics at the time? You know, 
It could have been, to be honest with you. We, it, it was a pretty brutal accident and it really like handicapped me. I, I lost a couple of limbs on, uh, on my foot. And so like, it should have been right. Like that happened in August of, uh, 2013. So going into my, uh, senior year, I didn't get to play football. I missed out completely on that. And by January, the doctor said, Hey, look, Matt, let's start putting some pressure, uh, into like starting your rehab then. And so as soon as he told me that, I literally, we went back to my house because my duck's appointments were an hour and a half away and in Savannah, Georgia. So then we would drive back all the way back home. And when he got, when I got that news, I got back home and I took the wheelchair and I just threw it down the ramp. Like literally just got up and said, okay, if I can put pressure on it, then I'm going to start walking. Um, that was like the one question that always bothered me was like, Matt, are you going to be able to walk the same? Is you going to be the same? Are you going to feel the same? Are you going to be able to run again? Uh, all while I had all these these D1 offers on the, on the table, no one responded to me anymore. Right, so it just felt I felt completely isolated. So it was just it was me and and what I wanted to do with it from there. Right, and as soon as I got the clearance, I threw the wheelchair, started putting pressure on it, and I yeah I, I really put my mindset to okay, I wanted to be a uh, collegiate athlete. That's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna aim for. So all the offers got wiped off the table and it, just, it felt like starting moving from scratch. And what I did was uh, I really just, I battled through it and I had one game where I hit a couple of home runs and there was a scout there and he said, Hey, actually, there's one spot left. You want to come and play for this little D3 school at the middle of Georgia? I said, I'll take anything at this point, right? I wasn't even supposed to be here, but here I am. That, that's great, man. Um, so, you, you know, you went, you did D3. I know it wasn't the dream of the D1, but I think that was the first potential spark of overcoming a really really tough obstacle where like you're not sure how your future is going to pan out and you just threw, literally threw that threw away the walker like i'm going to walk again i'm going to really get get back into it so you obviously played uh um d3 for a little bit and then i from my understanding is that you stayed with the baseball industry right i mean was that fresh out of college you kind of stuck with it yeah i mean i what i did was i did a couple of years at the d3 school and i transferred to uga uga was kind of like my my dream school um, I knew nothing about money. So what I did was when I transferred to UGA, I, I changed my major to personal finance. So I went this personal finance route, uh, had a great time at UGA, met my wife, uh, out of, you know, it, it, I got into like the startup world while I was at UGA. Well, so out of curiosity, in, what, what made you, what was, what made you get drawn to personal finance out of all the other subjects you could have liked? I just, I never learned that in high school. No one ever talked to me. Like I watched my parents blow through money and then, you know, sit in the bedroom and, and balance checkbooks once a month. Um, and so the only way that I knew how to figure it out was to just dive all into it and learn about it. Right. So, uh, scholastically, that's what I did. I dove into the books and I really tried to understand, you know, what is personal finance? I think the biggest thing I took away from it was, uh, you can, you could really take advantage of money. Right. And, and, there's a huge stigma, like the, you know, money is the root of all evil and insert whatever other stigma you want to put around it. But what I really learned was how to be a steward of money and how to be a student of money and how, how I can, you know, properly and re and respect uh, money the way that it, it should be. Right. That's all I went to school to learn. No one ever taught that to me. So I'm going to learn it. Um, and that's what I did at UGA before uh, I had a buddy who was working with the Savannah Bananas. And at the 
at the time, you know, I, I knew about Savannah, been there so much. It's a quick little getaway for me and the family when I was younger. And uh, he was working for them. And it was like, it was just kind of this wacky thing that was attractive to me because I love baseball. It was new, so it was exciting. And they were doing things that no one had really seen before. Just to kind of echo, um, I think our generation of millennials was never thought about anything finance, finance related, not about taxes, not about how to properly run a business at all. Sure as hell learned about Pythagorean theorem and like sine and cosine, right? <laughs> Stuff I never, never used the second I, I passed that test by the skin of my teeth. But I think that it, it, it's such an importance for our, the younger generation to really get involved early in finances on business and personal end, because it could really set you up for life. I think we can both agree on that. So uh, moving forward to Savannah Bananas, now, are you involved in finances there? Like, is that, is that your thing as far as like continuing, like managing the books of the team? My, my foot in the door was with the ticket department. Uh, I think most sports teams, they have a, an open door through the ticket department. And then from there, it can go one of a million ways, right? But so I got lucky. I did my internship in the ticket department. They brought me on full time uh, the next season. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to graduate. I should probably, you know, put my big boy pants on and, and get a big boy job, right? So they offered me a full time job. Uh, I did one more season or maybe half a season, actually. Uh, until the director that was currently there was transitioning out. And so I said, you know what? I graduated with personal finance. Uh, there's a corporate finance role open. They're not super different from each other. Just one for, you know, affects one person versus, you know, a lot more people. So I said, you know, whatever I can do, let me transition into this role. So that's when I slowly started transitioning into coordinator. And uh, that what I, what I didn't know was that entailed everything from bookkeeping to controller work to assisting the president with uh, what I consider like fractional CFO service. That's that's amazing, man. So this is like the spark of like the fractional CFO where you're not just like bookkeeping on a monthly and wrecking, kind of doing more of the mundane tasks, more visionary, but like, hey, where do you want to take this now? And what a great playing field, for lack of a better word, un unintended there, where you can actually <laughs> work with a large company of like generating ticket revenues, how to balance books, how to project, um, so this is kind of where I assume where you earned your stripes and was like really, really learning the process on the fly, it seems, of like how to run, a, a, I would assume, multi-million dollar uh, company at that point, right? Yeah, super spoiled. The The company was doing really, really well. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you can see them all over, you know, they're, they're on ES, they have a little documentary on ESPN Plus now. And so, and, and they're traveling across, you know, 30 plus cities this year in the world tour, and they're going to probably do more next year. So... I got really, really spread out in the beginning because they were still very young and they were experiencing so many growth pains. So what I really got to help with is we had to set up so many processes and it made me realize the importance of having process. Um, there were, you know, we were, we were growing just out of our shoes basically. So quite literally there were just multiple deaths in these little storage sheds that we were just putting together and it was just like it was like this cool like bootstrap mentality and everyone had this uh you know let's go build it first before we buy it mentality uh so i i got super spoiled and i got to experience uh, a, a company with growing pain uh how to go and how to navigate this growing pain um and we even went through code together so i think that's something that no one had in your playbook and a lot of times when we were going through uh these growing pains you could look at a different company or, or a different sports team 
and we can see, okay, you know, maybe they maybe they did these things that helped them through these growing pains. But with COVID, it was just, you know, putting your head together and figuring out what's going to be best for the people. And I think that's where I'll also learn the value of having core values in your business. And so I get super spoiled and learn all of that. On top of, you know, I got to work with inventory and we got to work with payables. Uh, ticket revenue came in beforehand. Uh, we got to work on construction projects. So I got, I got experience in how the flow of money and the timing of money is super, super no, that, that's, that's great, man. Um, but was, was there a certain, you made it through COVID with them. Was there a certain aha moment of like, Hey, I, I think I can kind of apply this in my own business. Was it, was it like a parting amicably from them? Or did you have this fest in your mind for the past five years of like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Just curious to see the kind of inner workings of your thoughts at the time. Yeah. I kind of left out the part of the, the story <laughs> where I'm, I'm a huge believer and I want to, I want to put my effort into something and get rewarded from those efforts yeah. and so all the time while i was doing this you know I, I had met my wife and so we were saving up for a ring and i wanted to buy this house and i wanted to live what we i thought was like the american dream with the formula of getting a, a, a degree getting a good job and you would get those things right well the real world slapped me in the face and i realized like that's not the case at all um so what i did was and in college we learned a little bit and through the society of entrepreneurs that i was with in college learned a lot about business plans. So on the side, while I was at this nine to five job, in the mornings and at night, I'd go home and I would help people uh, on freelance websites write business plans. People would hire me and we would write business plans and we would create projections that I learned when I was working my nine to five job. So I took the projections and started applying it to like this little side hustle. And we were doing some Gary V things like finding things in yard sales and flipping them on eBay. Uh, so Why not, man? I, I, you know, I think that's that's brilliant too. If anyone who's, who feels like they're stuck in a nine to five, I can guarantee you, whatever you're doing at your nine to five is a skill set that's that you can be applied in your own business somehow. It's a matter of extrapolating that data so you can apply it to whatever it is. You could be selling bananas, you know, and then figure out like, <laughs> oh, I, I know the good supplier now, so if I want to start my own thing, I have the connection from here and build on the relationship. That's very savvy that you had that kind of inclination to start the side hustle, and you made it through COVID at this point. So this is 2020. And this is this kind is of 20. Yeah, this is 2020 and creeping into 2021, right? Because I mean, we were we were 14, so having fans come to the ballpark was a huge part of the business model, right? And so we th there were still multiple multiple challenges going through that, and I mean, and that's really when you learn that there's more things than just the numbers, right? There's taking care of people, um, there's just just being there for your customers that I realized the more that you take care of people, the longer they want to do business with you, right? And that's the name of the game, right? Is you want to make business fun. Like you can't just look at numbers every month and just make off the fly decisions. Uh, you just run yourself and you burn yourself out, right? Like you just got to have fun. And so I think the huge thing I learned through COVID was not a lot of people was having fun. No one was, no one was uh, really expecting anything like this to happen. So everyone was super caught off guard. But we turned it into having fun. We created new revenue streams. We had guys playing uh, Road to the Show, recreating the baseball team and playing other baseball teams online. And so like, it just all went back to like having fun. And I think, I think people need to remind themselves a lot of times when they're, when they're going through business and, and there's, a, there's a hurdle and an obstacle, like just remember to, you got in this to have fun, right? And you got to have fun. Absolutely, man. Now, so you started this side hustle. Was the intention of I want to grow this 
to replace my nine to five income. And then this is my full-time thing. Or was it more of like, Hey, I see this opportunity. I'm going to burn the ships, burn the, burn the boats right now. And I'm going to leap into this. And I'm sure there had to be some conversations with your wife about this of like leaving a salary position with benefits, something that's a complete what if, right? So how did that work out? Because it seems like they weren't really, not to knock Savannah bananas, but maybe they weren't recognizing your potential and what, what they, you should be paid, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there was a, a limitation on the size, right? So there was, there was a few things that I could do. I could stick around for five more years and then go through this five-year waiting period until the company uh, took the next step and, and, and leveled up and, and really expanded. Or I can, you know, really focus on this thing that I'm doing on the side, which actually had a need. And I, I really leaned into it because there's a big need and companies need funding, right? Especially startups. And a great source to get it is through the SBA. So with the SBA process, you have to have a formal written business plan and you have to have a forecast. And so that's really why I found a huge need in, in people needing this and companies For those it. who don't know, can you just like, describe uh, what an SBA loan is? Yeah, SBA is a small business administration loan. Uh, I think the most popular one is probably the SBA 7A loan, where they'll lend you money based on, uh, I mean, as a, any other loan, they'll, they'll lend you money on uh, your business so that you can fuel the working capital that you need to start, right? Uh, now, I won't say it's just limited to new businesses. There's also uh, ways that businesses acquire other businesses through the SBA process. But at the time for what I was doing, I was really targeting startups um, who needed that capital to, you know, fund their CapEx project or really just speed up their timeline into uh, getting into the economy to scale. Yeah, what's really cool that I've learned about SBA loans, they could also use it to acquire real estate, as long as I believe 51% is geared towards your actual business. But the other 49% could just be a rental side of it. And the loan rates and uh, usually are much more, are, are better than, say, getting other creative financing offers. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, they're, they're super favorable. These are government-backed loans. Uh, so they're super favorable. And they, they these are administered by banks. So these are banks are incentivized to give you these loans. And I think the coolest thing is a lot of people don't realize uh, there are advisors out there that will help you get into these SBA loans. They're only incentivized to give them out. And I just think they're really overlooked, to be honest with you. I think so, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely a a great service tool that people should really tap into if you're thinking of doing a startup, acquiring real estate that's going to expand your business. It's an excellent tool. I've used it personally myself too. It kind of helped me fuel my success. Um, so kind of getting back to your personal story here. So you have this side hustle, creating these, uh, um, business plans for these startups, doing some projections. What was the catalyst that made you uh, leave Savannah Bananas? You know, the funny thing is that while it's building all of these, uh, business plans, projections, I mean, not only is it, you know, pitched to, to, uh, the SBA, but it's also pitched to investors. I never realized one would actually get funded. And we had a company and startup get funded. A uh, million dollars, and that whole round, I think we collected 1.6 for their initial like CD round, and that was kind of the initial moment of when they came to me and they were like, "Hey, we know the product side of things. We have no idea how to tell our investors how we're doing. Can you come and help us?" And so immediately, I was like, "Okay, they're asking me to do this. 
So I'm going to take all the knowledge that I know and apply it to this brand new startup where I had a lot of value and experience in, right? That's great. So if I ever want to launch, you got to help me out with it to get to uh, uh, raise some funds here. So this is like, you're essentially just your first client. Your first like, hey, this is more than just doing projections now. Like I need to really put this thing together. Um, yeah, that, they, I got really serious at that point. Uh, it really made me realize, oh, there's actually a job or a business rather that I could create around doing this for, for people that have already been funded. So I kind of look back at this side of the night and I really say, okay, I'm having a ton of fun putting all these relationships with people that are just like me. They're young entrepreneurs, um, they're go-getters, and they're super smart people. And I want to continue surrounding myself, myself around those people while I was debating, okay, you know, I can wait three or four more years with the bananas and then get the promotion that I want, or I can create the promotion that I want, right? And I think a lot of people in today's society, they're so caught up in, in everyone deserving a raise. And I think what people forget is they can create the raise for themselves. And that's essentially what I did. I wanted to be a CFO. So I said, hey, I'll be the CFO of your company. Now, you mentioned uh, having the conversation with my wife. I thought it was going to be easy because she's a, she's a, a business owner herself. She owns a photography business. And whenever I told her, it was kind of like, ah, there the headlights because now it's unpredictable revenue from both sides of the marriage, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. But obviously she acquiesced it because here we are, right? So <laughs> you, you ended up kind of setting sail on your own here. Um and start a startup, your, your, uh, uh, fractional CFO services. So in a nutshell, what would you say fractional CFO is and who is it good for? You know, it's businesses have that, what I consider intermediary period of, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe you can afford a bookkeeper, but you just, you can't really afford the $250,000 salary CFO that comes with all this experience, right? And you see that all the time with these big companies. They're already they're always uh, headhunting all these like experienced executives, and they just cost a lot of money. But you got to get there first, right? You can't just grow overnight. We all know this. And so there was this small gap, and companies that needed this type of expertise and guidance. Um, and, the, and and that's why I really felt like okay, this fractional part time CFO makes the most sense because. This is something that they that we can do on a, a part-time basis and give them expertise from a full-time CFO, right? A lot of businesses try to fill this in with CPA firms, and I'm, I'm citing this right now, but CPA firms are doing are really good at doing your taxes, and then they'll see you next year, put you up the door, and you'll see them the next time you need your taxes. I'm going through right? it myself. The CPA is almost, they, they take like their summer vacation seriously. <laughs> yeah, There's exactly. no strategy planning, put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I saw a need in this more like hands-on approach and helping companies from from a financial standpoint uh, stay tidy and put them in positions where they can see uh, transparency in their cash flow or they just need to build a budget, right? There's, there's a number of businesses that don't even have a budget built, right? And maybe, you know, maybe these companies are so good at the product and they're so busy uh, they don't have time for it, right? And so we do a lot of things. We we fill the need to save uh, a ton of time, and we save a ton of money too, because you're not paying for this full time salary CFO. So insert fractional CFO. There you go. So, what would be your ideal client avatar? Like, who would make who makes the most sense uh, mm -hmm. to work with you? 
this is where I, I sort of pick a lot of people off. My favorite client to work with are service-based clients, right? That's my clientele. I think yeah. to, to throw shade on some businesses, I personally, this is personal, I do not like working with inventory-based companies. They're very, very low margin, whereas service-based businesses have such higher margin. And I just feel like with those higher margin companies, you'd have so much more potential to grow faster and to really create value for yourself. Because cash flow is the name of the game, right? And so I love working with service-based businesses. I've, I've got clients in uh, the healthcare industry. We've got construction clients. Um, we've got uh, agencies. I've got a couple of agencies, actually. And then we also have uh, an interior design agency as well. So uh, agencies have been my bread and butter so far. What What is the typical revenue that you're seeing when they kind of come knocking like, hey, I need a little bit of help here. I've outgrown my part-time bookkeeper, so to speak. There's, there's two levels to it. I think the first one is revenue. Revenue is a dictator of complexity, but it's not a dictator of profitability, right? So there's two ends of the spectrum. I've got clients that when they hit, I would say normally around a million dollars, once they hit a million dollars, they're either super profitable or they're super not profitable. There's never a company in between, right? And that's when they need the most help. They need to figure out what's going on in the bottom line. Why, can they, why can't they create any cash? You know, they have so much cash, they don't know what to do with next, right? And so it's like they need help with that game plan and strategy to align with the goals they've set. So we do have clients that we offer like back office support for. So we do bookkeeping, we do controller work. Those, those companies are typically doing 100 to 500K, but it's really that 500 to a million, million plus that really need a more future-oriented uh, a strategy and really a partner, which is what we really are for a lot of companies, and partnering with them uh, into helping them along with whatever they're And I could say from experience, once you hit that million-dollar mark, um, you're not a one-man operation anymore. You have a team of people around you kind of <laughs> making things happen. Typically, you're... you're stuck in operations, maybe you're doing sales and the bookkeeping really does kind of go to the back burner where you just get a P&L every month. I'm like, looks good to me. You know, that, that's really <laughs> it. So when, if you're a service-based business owner, you're a roofer, a plumber, you have handyman service, whatever it happens to be, um, a DJ company, what's, what do you see as the number one problem they're coming to you with? Like, what's the phone call? You got a discovery call with them. What's like the number one topic that comes up and how can someone better prepare for this if they're just listening to this? Episode. Yeah, the, the thing they always come to me with is, is cash problems, and that's why cash is the the most important thing to manage in a business. the The root of the problem usually comes from cash timing, right? So, uh, a DJ service and a construction service they may be service based businesses, but they're totally different in the timing in which their cash cycle closes, right? A construction company may have to front materials, labor, permits, insert anything else that has to be uh, purchased in order to complete that job. And once the job's complete, then they can send an invoice. Whereas like a DJ may book something in, well in advance and they may ask for a deposit or they may actually ask for 100% of the money up front before the event. And so I think the lack of understanding of the cash cycle is usually the root of everyone's problem. And are you seeing a lot of these clientele that are kind of doing the old school mythology of money in and the money out to my profit and that's what I take home? Is that really, is that what you're seeing or is it a little more intricacies um, that you have to kind of fix? What, when I usually, what I usually see is people think that whatever's on the P&L 
translates to whatever's in the bank account. Yeah. Right. And that is just, it is not the case. No. Uh, especially if you have the P&L that looks right, or <laughs> it could be a bookkeeping problem if, it does, if it's not what they, they don't align one-to-one, right? I think most business owners need to understand how do all three statements, the profit and loss statement, cash flow statement, and the balance sheet, how do they all work together? And how does that translate to their bank account? So that's the biggest misconception that I'm really helping people understand is how does that translate into the bank account because we're, we're business owners we're good at you know pulling up our bank account and we see hey money in money out there's more money in than out so i feel good uh and then maybe they get to the end of the year and they talk to their cpa and they say hey look you owe this huge tax bill and now it's just right out the window everything you work for is gone when you could be working for strategies uh throughout the year that's going to help you know limit that tax liability or uh you know prepare way more in advance because a lot of people just check the bank account and they think that that's it. Yeah. And I, I, I've, in my coaching, um, business, I've seen business owners where the way they take a draw is whatever money, whatever profit the P and L says, like that's our draw and that's their salary, which is crazy. So if you were a new business owner or maybe you're putting it, bringing in 500,000 to a million dollars, how would you personally structure your business finances? So you're geared to success and scalability. Like what, what is the secret sauce, so to speak? Yeah. When, when business owners take all the net income out of the business, you're just taking every bit of free cash flow plus out of the business, right? Whenever, whenever I, I talk to uh, business owners, they always want to know, hey, what am I paying myself? Am I allowed to pay myself? If I am allowed, how much can I pay myself? This is, this is a huge question that always comes up. And like the initial conversations that we do. And there's no easy blanketed answer, but I will say it does determine uh, if you have profitability. If you're not 100K profitable or more, you shouldn't switch to an escort, meaning you shouldn't pay yourself a salary. You should pay yourself a draw. Now, if you're, if you're not quite 100K uh, per year profitable, then I, I specialize in something called profit first where you're taking a percentage of revenue and you're not just pulling it off from net income. So ex- expand a little bit on that, that profit first, because I, I think, uh, what's the gentleman who wrote the book? Um, Mike McCallis. Thank you. Yeah. He, he kind of popularized this, this, uh, mythology here. Um, and this is something that I recently switched to, um, or I need to switch to is kind of going this S corp as opposed to doing an owner's role, because I think as you scale, um, I would love to hear your opinion on this. It probably makes more sense when you're, you know, bringing in say $250,000 profit, say, okay, I'm going to take a $125,000 salary and maybe pay myself quarterly bonuses, let's just say, based on, based on the business. Is that typically what you would recommend or structure on, let's call it a handyman service business? Yeah, 100%. If, you know, so let me, let me give some more context on what the profit first uh, method is. So Mike McCallis wrote this book called The Profit First Method. And if you read the book, there's a, there's a big, uh, there's actually a, a couple of mentioned uh, from the Savannah Banner, and I was the one that got to implement this product. For oh, the get team. out of here, man. I didn't know that. <laughs> that yeah, so, cool. so when they talked about the Savannah Banner and the book, I was the one that was able to, to implement this, right? And so now what I do in my new business is uh, when we work when we work with business for the first time, it's, uh, it's really important to set this up because what this really does is it takes that envelope, the old school envelope, you know, you take, take your paycheck and you put 20 toward groceries and, and 30 toward bills, 
it's really modernizing that for a business. So I like to look at it as a modernized uh, banking system and that complements your accounting system. So it doesn't replace it, but I think it does work simultaneously. So really what the profit first uh, method says is you take X amount of percent of taxes, uh, profit, and operations in owner pay out of your revenue every quarter and you transfer them into those other buckets. And so now, when you have... I was going to say, that if you can get tactical, when you say X amount of percentage, uh, let's assume a business is bringing in $100,000 in profit. Let's keep the numbers super simple. And you're in a you know standard a federal tax bracket versus state bracket. What percentage would you allocate towards profit to um, taxes, things of that nature? Yeah, for, for profit specifically, start with 1%. If you don't want to handicap yourself and take all the, the money that you made in your revenue and just dump it straight into your profit account, right? And you don't want to handicap yourself. So I, I always say, start with 1% for profit. It's a rule of thumb. If you can do more, great. I would go up to as much as like 5%. Um, now when you say 1% and, of profit, you, you mean like on an annual basis or like if someone brought in, you know, $10,000 that month, 1% would be 1,000 or, or 100? No. Let me, let me, let me make sure I clarify. It's 1% yeah, yeah. of revenue and okay. not profit. That makes more sense. So, what I, what I like to do is also have like a revenue bucket. So let's just say you're getting paid through Stripe or if it's a handyman service, maybe they're using Jobber or Builder Trend. Oh, pro, and, right. And those are getting transferred into a bank account. I like that to go into a revenue uh, bank account, right? And so just by looking at that, that account should get emptied because all of your other accounts should equal 100%. So your revenue account gets drawn to zero. So maybe... 5% of that revenue every quarter, I would say, is a great time to transfer. Let me, let me back up. If you're starting this, do it monthly. I would do it I would do it bi-monthly, the 10th and the 25th. The 10th and the 25th so that you have time to transfer and for bills to come out the 15th and the 1st and, and typically payroll. Um, you can, we can get deep into it, but there's a, the sub accounts that you create are really up to you, right? You can break apart the OPEX account into payroll, which a lot of our businesses do, so that they know, okay, X percent of this revenue going straight to payroll. And that that could depend on the business, right? Uh, taxes, taxes is a really, really tricky one. And I know, I hate I hate saying this, but it, there's no one size fits all. If you're an LLC, I would, I would look at your previous year's uh, tax return on your business. See what percentage you had to pay of taxes compared to your revenue. Let that be your starting guide, right? And let that percentage kind of dictate um, what goes into that. So could be 28%, as high as 28%, but could be as low as like 10%, depending on if you're an you know, LLC partnership or if you're an S-Corp or if you're a C-Corp. If you're a C-Corp, then you just set it at the flat 21% tax rate and that's your, that's your percentage, right? So that there, there's no one size fits all. Always, you know, consult obviously with an accountant before you set this up. But what you're really doing is the, the, the important buckets are uh, profitability and owner's pay, right? So let's just go back to your example. Let's say you're, you're, you're making 250K and you set a $100,000 salary. With the remember, that salary has taxes drawn away from it. So that's going to help you know, lower the percentage in our tax bucket. But at the same time, maybe you want to award yourself on a quarterly basis based on, you know, what's in your profit bucket or 
what's in your owner's pay bucket, right? So if it's in your profit bucket, maybe you take half of it and you go and you, you buy yourself a dinner. I think it's super important to pay ourselves uh, dividends and draws so that we realize the fruits of our labor. If we don't pay ourselves, we don't remind ourselves, like, why are we doing this? So it's, it's perfectly okay. And my, my personal finance brain is like screaming against me, but it's perfectly okay to go and spend a nice dinner and, and go buy a nice steak and glass of wine with the wife. Um, but let me, let me get back to the owner pay section really quick. Cause I think there's a lot more that goes into it. The owner pay bucket you set, I would say 30% to start, especially if you're service-based business, start with 30%, right? On top of your salary. And now every month, you look at that and you say, okay, is this needed anywhere else in the business? Marketing, it, payroll, advertising, whatever it may be, right. Any other operating expenses. If your company is short, don't be greedy and take that pay. You, If you already have a salary. Now, if you don't have a salary, take that 30% through the marketing, through OPEX, everything, and put it into your bank account. It's super important to pay yourself. You have to feel those dopamine rushes of, Hey, I worked so hard on this. Now I'm going to get rewarded for it, right? Um, so there's definitely some nuances depending on how the business is structured. And, and I, if I remember it, and this is where I initial had initially had put, uh, pushback on profit first, is that it does require uh, separate bank accounts for men Maybe. mental purposes, not necessarily for um, like functionality. Because technically speaking, you can go into your QuickBooks and set up these sub accounts and just like this money here. It's all lump sum in one bank account. And you can have it segmented in QuickBooks. But if I remember his lesson was, no, you should have a separate bank account for your taxes, which I do now. You should have a separate account for your marketing, separate account for your profit. Is that something you would espouse and recommend as well? Yeah, especially if you're a heavy cash business. Let's remember only 250000 is insured to begin with. And right. if you have more of that into a right. bank account, hey, look, this is a great time to implement this and put money elsewhere. So yet yeah, putting it into, I mean, regardless if you have 250K or, or a dollar, right? separate factually the the profit and the tax. Um, this is where I really like to, you know, a lot of business owners start with a national account, bank account. Find a local account. Put your tax and your profit account in that local bank. And honestly, write yourself a check. Go in there, talk with the people in the local bank, deposit your check, and that's your transfer, right? And that way, psychologically, it's hard for you to go and take money out of your taxes and put it back into your business. It defeats the whole purpose. Also, simultaneously, you're making relationships with your local bank, and should you come up with uh, this huge investment that you need to make into your company to increase efficiency or have some sort of ROI tied to it, and if you need to borrow money, hey, now you've really created a relationship with that local bank, and you can bring them your P&L and say, hey, look, also, we have these other accounts. This is our financial picture. Can you help us? Right. Uh, that, that's excellent advice. I really like the actual act of walking into a bank, cutting yourself a check. A little bit old school now with the, the younger generation, but I think the paying yourself is going to go a long way. Because right now what I do is go to the bank account. I'm like, I made this much money. I'm going to transfer this into my personal account. And it's done it within an instant with no human interaction. Convenient as hell, but it, I think you, you lack the, the presence uh, that you're kind of espousing, where you're basically going in and building up these relationships. Um, no, this is this is great, Matt. Now, I, I want to go into a little bit of some misconceptions that I think people have when it comes to business write-offs. 
people think like, just write it off, write off everything. Um, let's, let's get involved in here a little bit. Can you really write off anything on your business? And what are the, no. what are the uh, regulations and, um, the restrictions I, I should, I should leave. Yeah. This is, this is where I blame TikTok and any yeah. other and short, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just any sort of short form video where you see people on the vacation and they're at state dinners. Like there's, there's definitely lines that are drawn. The, the best way I can put it is if there's any sort of personal benefit to it all, then you're in the gray area. Right. And if there is, if it is 100% personal benefit, it is not a write-off. So milk is the easiest one that people abuse. What they don't realize is if you get audited, they're going to ask you to speak to who were who you at uh, supper or lunch with, why did you spend that much, and what was the purpose, and what was uh, talked about during that lunch, right? So what I personally do is whenever I'm out, I will make notes on conversations that we had just a one-liner of right hey, and we talked deep. about marketing <laughs> yeah for for our, our uh our mastermind it was networking every single time right but okay the awesome trip's a great example i had business intention to go and uh and learn right educational perfect well, uh, the Definitely best write-off write invest in yourself right but while we're there hey i get to see austin texas we get to eat good food uh we get to you know fly out to a new city, like all of those are write-offs. Now, if stepmom is, or, or, or mom is in, in the next state over and you see the flight is a hundred bucks and you put that on your business to go and see mom and you have a couple of dinners together, like that's going to be super hard to defend, right? So two things, if it's 100% personal, then you can't write it off. But if it has your business tied to it, then create a paper trail. That's the other part. If you create a paper trail, you're covering yourself. Even marking receipts. Like you get a receipt at dinner and say, well, hey, spoke with Josh. This is what we discussed. It doesn't have to be some elaborate, you know, eulogy that, that's on the back of the receipt. Just, just, it's more of just a verification in case you do get audited. You do have that proof. It's all about paper trail. Name and a one-liner. Talk taxes. Like that's so, it. That's that, all you need. The thing I can't go to Maui and put on the business and then look at one property <laughs> and then scuba dive the rest of the time I'm there. And that's not a business write-off. That's unfortunate. <laughs> uh now if you had a rental property and you stay there less than uh what is it less than four consecutive days and you had to go and fix a couple of windows and hey maybe that afternoon you went sure. and record that's the gray area sure. right exactly now let's now it's not in let's create a paper trail let's have some fun with it but if you were just flying to maui doing some snorkeling coming back no rental property over there uh pretty Go. tough to defend <laughs> now, now i've i've probably got this advice from Instagram reels and I want you to, to squash the dreams on this. Is but, it true or untrue that you can use your children as potential tax write-offs? And I know that the deal is like they can like they're shredding paper. So they're like, you know, they're helping the business. What's the, the, the advice here on that? Yeah, you can, you can actually pay your kids. However, your kids have to be actually working, right? So let's just, let's just say you have a six-year-old and you tell them to go and do something, but they do what any other six-year-old does. They find a tablet and they sell a tablet and they goof off the whole time, right? Like that, that's pretty inadmissible. However, if you have someone that is purely dedicated, a kid to purely dedicated to cleaning up, uh, shredding paper, um, maybe, maybe they're going out and 
leaving uh, letters on people's doorsteps. Those are things that you can pay your kids and deduct, right? Because now you're now you're creating labor. I would be careful about how you pay them because you could, right. you know, like my, my child, a couple I've things. This tally of $100,000 to shred paper probably won't fly. <laughs> uh, they're going to look at market comparisons and yeah. probably rule that out. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that, that's another thing you have to consider is how, how much are you paying them? Go to Glassdoor, Indeed, see what the average salary is for a specific job and pay them hourly because we all know they're not going to be full-time employees. So the, the other question I would have, what about when it comes to your your home office? Let's say you all, both of us are homeowners. Can you technically charge yourself rent to the business if you're living in your own space? There's a big, big question mark and uh, emphasis around the Augusta rule where you can rent your home out for 14 days and it'd be tax-free. Uh, the came back and has made it abundantly clear that your business cannot be the one renting to yourself. You cannot rent from your business. Your business cannot rent from yourself. They're throwing that out left and right. So you cannot pay yourself a rent if you have a home office because you're double dipping. If you have a home office like we do, then I can write off the square footage of yep. my mortgage, uh, my internet bill, my utilities, electricity, uh, everything that's involved in you know what percentage of square feet this is compared to my whole home, uh, but I can't also pay myself a rent and realize that expense as well. Cause now I'm double dipping and that's what they don't want you to do. They don't want you to double dip. Right. Right. It's, it's very clear that like, okay, your, your LLC is paying you rent. <laughs> your personal name. So it's yeah, it pay- an audit probably. So paper trails are hard to uh, hide on that one. <laughs> now, when it comes to, as a real estate investor myself, um, I, classify as a real estate professional. I know some most people don't unfortunately do the, the time constraints here. But if let's say you're paying yourself in a dividend way, right? Is that considered capital gains or is that considered earned income? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on are you materially participating in the business or is it passive activity? If it's passive activity, now we're talking about the uh, all, a lot of the deductions that you can write off from when you're materially participating, it's cut to like a quarter, if at all, if you're uh, doing it as a passive activity. So I think that's where the, the biggest differentiator is. Uh, are you actively participating or is this something that's passive and you're not giving as much attention to it? So there's there's been a couple of cases where, and let me, let me define what uh, materially participating is. There was a case where these guys set up this LLC for real estate and they went to a lot of places looking for housing. Those places just so happened to be at Holly, the same time. Hawaii. Yeah. Lake yeah, Tahoe. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time as the Kentucky Derby and the Super Bowl and like all of these major events. And what happened was they never bought a property. They were realizing all these expenses and they never recognized the revenue. If you don't have any revenue, this is a hobby. If they rule this as a hobby, then you're going to have so many expenses ruled out. And I think that really defines in real estate, are you materially participating or are you running a legit uh, operation or are you doing this to try to hide something else? What are right. your intentions? Yeah. Like for my, my personal investment properties, I, I even have my own property managers handles truly passive. So now, now there's that can qualify as, you know, as Apple gains tax essentially. So you, you don't have to pay the FICA and all that other fun stuff that comes associated with it. 
Um, and I know people will play around with this and it can, there's always gray areas of the what ifs. But I think of someone who's listening to this, you take the straight and narrow path here. If you, if you, there's plenty of legal ways to lower your taxable income where you don't have to necessarily go through all these hoops to make things happen. Um, what would you say it, it is the number one tax loophole that you see that a service-based business can potentially take to lower their income bracket? I think the easiest one is going back to what I was talking about earlier, converting yourself from an LLC to an F-Corp. So if you do have a position where you're making 60 to 100K in extra net profit, let's be honest, that's our tax liability at the end of the year is your net profit, right? If you're an LLC, that owner pay does not belong on the P&L. It does not deduct your, your tax liability. If you're an S-Corp and you can afford it, from a cash perspective, now you can put that on your P&L and that lowers your tax liability. That's number one. The second one is just the power of depreciation, especially in real estate, right? In real estate, you get 27 and a half years to take the full amount of that property and depreciate it every single year for 27 and a half years. Now, we know you're not actually losing cash, but you're lowering that tax liability. That goes on your profit and loss. So, I think those are the two biggest tax write-offs that people can't typically overlook. I would say so. Even more mortgage interest on your investment properties, you could do something called cost segregation, which that's a whole other episode into itself. We don't want to go down a deep <laughs> rabbit hole here, right? Um, We're doing one of those right now with one of my clients. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, you got to get a structural engineer involved. It's uh, but yeah. but it can be if you have a huge Apple gain bill coming due. I mean, that would really tank that down to almost nothing. So it, it makes yeah. sense strategically, and that's why it's so important that someone like you in your in your corner. It was like, hey, like this is what I you're you're seeing like a 360 view here. Like, let's strategically plan this out as opposed to you know me doing my own research or just kind of just going buck wild and not really understanding what the repercussions of these movements will make. Um, so with that being said, Matt, I really appreciate this kind of candid conversation. I think a lot of business owners are going to take some great or are going to find some great value in what we just kind of discussed here. Um, as far as Powell Financial Group is is concerned. What services are you offering? Is it a full, comprehensive kind of white glove? Like, hey, we'll kind of take this over and we'll meet bi-weekly, whatever the program is. Or do you also offer it where it's like, hey, when you need us once a quarter, we're here to help. Like, how does it typically work for your services? We're super hands-on. So we like to meet at least once a month, right? We want to understand uh, what financial position that you're in. Because we meet once a quarter. Like, that's, that's definitely a start, but we can't move fast enough to uh, to pivot if we need to, right? Decisions that we help our clients make, those decisions affect the next quarter, the next two quarters, three, the next four quarters, right? And so the faster that we can make decisions, informed decisions, then the better. So what we typically do is for any client that we serve, uh, we took over all of their back office financial operations, bookkeeping, accounting, uh, creating budgets, uh, and talking about various reports. Now, our white glove uh, full suite service is now the full comprehensive, hey, we're creating a financial department for you, and you're going to have an assigned CFO. This fractional CFO is going to give you that 360-degree view and give you advice on, I mean, and it's not just business, because a lot of this business goes into personal, but it's like it affects your personal life. It affects all aspects of your business. And we basically want to make the financial process as, transparent and easy as possible, right? Uh, we have three core values in a business, which is uh, commitment, 
transparency and integrity. We're always going to commit to our clients 100%. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. We're transparent. We want you to see full visibility. We'll educate you as much as you want to know, or we'll just make it as easy, uh, easily as uh, digestible as possible so that you can understand where your, where your business is right now. What is the, what is the financial pulse right now? Um, and then integrity, like we, we're, we're going to play some gray areas and find some legal loopholes, uh, but we're never going to, we just, I can't afford to do that and to give up everything that we've built on behalf of one client. So if there's something that you want to do that's you know, out of bounds, we're not going to help with that, but, uh, yeah, we're not the firm for you, but we're definitely going to take care of you and, uh, hopefully ease a lot of pressure. Yeah. And you know, I, as a business owner, I think sometimes you could, people can think of it in short term, right? Where it's like, this is going to cost me thousands of dollars. I'm going to lose out on this. I won't be able to do this. My comeback there is that you can't afford not to, because if you really want to grow and scale your business, you're going to be stymied on the fact that you don't even understand what your cash flow is or about how like, can you afford this new hire? Even Like simple things like this are going to prevent your growth. And if you're the business owner who's doing the finances and that's not your forte, you're like, you don't have a CPA background, you don't have an accounting or bookkeeping background, and you don't have the time to get that skill set. you're doing yourself and your, your company a disservice by do, continuing to do, it, to do it yourself to save money on the short end. So I think this, this, I would say looking into a fractional CFO is an investment into yourself and your business future. You know, I, I, and I, I would highly recommend Mr. Powell's services here because he's the, he's the man with the plan, so to speak. And he'll uh, <laughs> hopefully we convince you this episode that this is something they should look into if you're in that criteria. Now, if you're just starting out, maybe not so. Maybe you can just take some of the principles we discussed, uh, read profit first, and implement it, you know, day one. And when you get to a certain point, then you can maybe come knock and start looking for a fractional CFO. Um, so on that note, I'm gonna end this. I'm gonna end this interview, which has been fantastic, with a question I ask every single entrepreneur that I have on this show. Let's rewind the clock. You're 21 years old again. Um, you're fresh out of college, let, let's say, what would the young Matt Powell do differently now, knowing the knowledge that you have today? I think the biggest thing for me would be putting my pride to the side. I tried to figure a lot of things out on my own and I would tell him, Hey, I get to pay to go and ask for advice. It's okay to find a mentor at that age, as long as you're providing some value on your answer, right? So Put the ego aside and know that it's okay to go and seek help from other people that are more successful than you. Absolutely. That, that's really great advice. And then I, I suffered from that myself only until recently where I, you know, I had this fallacy that I was the smartest guy in the room and it, clearly I'm not. Um, and that's what led me to M3, us getting to know each other is that I wanted to be in better and better rooms. You know, I think Drayton said, you know, some of the five people that you hang around with and the constant question yourself, like who you're only hanging around with, who, who am I interacting with uh, on a weekend basis? Who are my friends, who are my relationships with? Um, so that for sure is something that I think everyone I take to heart. Um, so Matt, if someone is interested in your CFO services, they want to find out more about you, where can they find out? I think the easiest place is to send me uh, an email. You can send me an email or what I prefer, which is uh, send me a, a DM on I guess I can't say Twitter anymore. I got to say X now, X. right? I know it's weird. <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Matt Powell CFO on X. Uh, I love getting DMs. I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. Um, I get it. You know, if you're not super ready to afford a fractional CFO, but maybe you have some questions about profit first. Maybe you read it and you say, uh, for my business, does this still make sense? 
you know, I love helping people. So, you know, send me, send me a DM there and I'm usually pretty active on there. Awesome, man. I hope anyone listening will, will send you that DM, reach out and get the conversation started. Once again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for your dedication to service businesses. I'm sure you and I are going to work together very soon as I launch the coaching side of the business. So thanks again, Matt. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'll definitely be following along. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into Service Business Success with Class. Are you craving more strategies to supercharge your business growth? You can connect with me at successwithclass.com or on my Instagram at Stevie Class. And remember, when you hit subscribe, it's a win-win. You'll get your hands on all the latest tips and you'll be supporting the show too. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.